Good morning, loved ones, Christian Life family. You are so loved and you are so missed. You're beginning to figure out now why I call you loved ones all the time, aren't you? We are a family and it's very difficult when we're separated by space like this. But we are together in our hearts and our minds, in our purposes, and in the Holy Spirit that binds us together. I want to say thank you to the elders, the staff, the pastors, the, the um, live stream team, everybody that is making it possible for us to stay together as a church during this very difficult time. And I have a very special word of appreciation. I want to say to Seth, to Lena, and to Jackson that Papa loves you very much, and I miss you, and I wish you were here with me. So just take good care of Mama and Daddy and know that Papa loves you and Grandma loves you. And uh, this is the time when everybody at your house gets to turn and tell each other they love them. So that'll be a great thing for us to do. Let's begin our time together, as our tradition is, by reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's a custom and a tradition that we have here at Christian Life. So wherever you are, join us in this universal prayer of the church. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and forever. Amen. I want to talk to you today about a word that's kind of making its rounds in the Christian community. It's the idea of a storm. Now, the message today is understanding storms. It was planned before I began to realize that a lot of people are talking about storms. And I think that may be spirit-driven, spirit-directed, because we all know we're in a storm we all recognize that this storm is unprecedented, at least in our lifetime. And the implications and possibilities are so potentially enormous that the storm has not let up. We're being told it'll be okay by this date or it'll be okay by that date. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes we're in storms, we just don't know when they'll end. Paul, in the book of Acts, was in a storm that had raged for a couple of weeks, and he said on board that ship, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. And it's possible, possible to become hopeless. But I want to focus on two things today. I want to talk about the nature of storms. A lot of good people are doing that, and it's helpful and necessary. But I not only want to talk about the nature of storms, I want to talk about the nature of this storm that we're in. And um, I want to be sure that we understand it's not enough to just know what we're in as a child of God. Everything God does for our lives, and we believe it, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I pointed out last week that scripture does not say that everything that happens to us in uh, life is good. 
but everything has a synergy. It works together for good. Paul didn't tell us to give thanks for every circumstance. There's some things we don't need to give thanks for, but we need to give thanks in those circumstances. And the key is being sure that we understand the nature of storms. When I was growing up in Pensacola, Florida, I especially remember those late elementary years and middle school years when we were given our, what we called our spelling words, and then it began to be called vocabulary. But we loved um, learning new words, but we hated being tested on those spelling words. And the teachers were particularly thorough in their teaching because they not only taught us the new words, and taught us the meaning of the new word, but they wanted to be sure we understood the word. So we had to spell the word on test day every Friday. We had to spell the word and then use it in a sentence. I remember the story of one little boy being taught the word withstanding, withstanding. He mastered the spelling, but wasn't sure he knew how to define it. So he spelled withstanding and then masterfully gave this sentence. I wore out the seat of my pants, but notwithstanding. Well, good effort, but I don't think he got credit for that one. It's possible, whether you're a pastor, a Christian in general, a prophetic person, apostolic person, it's possible to hear from God, but not really understand God. In fact, I think if we're not careful, especially in those of us who are part of the prophetic community, it's possible that a lot of people are hearing from God, but then they begin to extrapolate their interpretation on that word, and it's generating some confusion. I think we need to understand that no prophetic person, no pastoral person has all insight. We all have a piece of the puzzle. But I would caution you against either doing this or chasing this. Don't let someone hear the right word and give you the wrong definition. Now by that I don't mean that my definition is fault free or pure of, of uh, baggage that we might carry into a situation. But I do think if we go to the scriptures and look at the nature of storms, it may help us understand what God is really saying during this storm that is facing America and all around the world. Now, here at Christian Life, balance is a very important word to us. Everybody that's a Christian says they're balanced. Everybody's goal is to be balanced. But sometimes, if we're not careful... We can have the balance of uh, unbridled zeal. Years ago, I spoke to one of the wisest men I knew, and I said, I, I believe in this ministry that you're talking about being in, involved in, but I said, my concern is that I don't think they have a balanced view of Scripture, and we need to be careful as we approach this ministry, that we maintain a balanced view of scripture. And this was his response to me. He said, well, when you're on fire and doing things for God, you're going to get out of balance. And I thought, is this really what we want to believe? Do we want to believe that if we're zealous for God, that we're going to be out of balance, but it's okay because we mean well? I don't think so. And I don't think that's what my friend meant. It's not the balance of unbridled zeal. Um, it's not the balance of cowardice. You know, sometimes we're challenged to do things and we say, well, we just, we just got to be balanced. Um, 
And that is not the kind of balance. That's not the kind of wisdom we look for. Um, I'm hearing some of my prophetic friends saying, you know, it only took 70 deaths to shut down the church in America. We're not even meeting anymore. And he accused the church basically of cowardice for taking the precautions that were mandated by states. And that's not balance either. That's, that's something that could be easily misunderstood. And I say this with love and in humility, but in an attempt to hear the word of God, when we start extrapolating from it our own interpretation, we can really cause a lot of trouble. And that's not balance either. But there is a balance of truth. There is a balance of truth. It's Jesus who was full of grace and truth. He didn't have moods where he was, well, I'll give you a break, but I'm going to tell you like it is tomorrow. No, he was full at all times of grace and truth. And I want to tell you, I believe one of the greatest challenges for the church in America and perhaps around the world during this coronavirus situation is to learn to live in a true balance, a true balance of grace and truth. And that's what I think this storm can help us to walk into. Let's read the text from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land battered by the waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night, that means after 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeking the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Uh, loved ones, I want to kind of give you a, a heads up for where we, we're going to go. I think in order for us to understand storms, I think there are four questions we must be able to answer thoroughly. Um, you, you will never get a grip, in my opinion, on what God is wanting to do in his people right now as we navigate this storm, unless we can answer four questions. And I think they're foundational. Number one, we've got to answer the question, is it even possible for Christians to experience storms? Some teachers say it's sunshine and lollipops and, and uh, follow the yellow brick road all along the way and that Christians never see difficulty. So we've got to settle the, qu the question, is it even possible for a Christian to experience storm? And more pointedly is this question, that's a sub-question of number one, um, if we can experience storms, do we deal with it by ignoring it or do we deal with it by embracing it and committing ourselves to learn. Now here's the second question. Number one, will we experience storms? Number two, 
is what causes us to experience storms? Um, sometimes it seems they just come out of nowhere. So what are the biblical causes of storms? Number three, um, why do we experience storms in the sense of what is the result to be? What is God trying to do for us when we experience these storms? What is, what is God wanting to accomplish? And then the final question is this, what should we do during the storms? What's our behavior to be? Do we just hunker down and say, God, help us? That's a good starting place, but that's not all we're to do. So let's ask these four questions. And, and um, I want to preface the questions by saying this. This may not be familiar language to those of you that are guests from other venues, but to the Christian Life family, we keep getting asked the past couple of weeks, Pastor, is this what you've described as the long emergency? Um, that time that has been prophesied, time of great difficulty, um, and long emergency was the name that we, we give it. Uh, here's my answer. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I personally don't think this is the long emergency for this reason. Though what is happening in our country and around the world is certainly not inconsequential. Not even one death is inconsequential um, or one bout of sickness. Everybody matters. But what we have been shown, we believe, by the Spirit about the long emergency is something much greater than this. Is something much greater than this. Now, I will say this. By greater, I mean bigger, more substantial, more consequential. Um, this is horrific, and this is horrible. And it may turn into something much more horrific than it is, but I don't know that this is a long emergency because we've seen so much more with the long emergency. Um, much more... Uh, uh, dramatic and destructive. Now, I tend to agree with Rick Joyner, who said he believes this is a dress rehearsal. Um, now, again, I want to address the confusion for just a second. Some voices in the church are saying um, that uh, um, we need to rise up. This is our greatest moment. They're saying ignore the the storm, ignore the difficulty, and we're not going to suffer any bad days. God is for our good, and God's not into judgment anymore, which incidentally is not a scriptural concept at all. Um, but they're saying we need to just rise up. As, as uh, uh, Mike Bickle said, there's a balance between the two messages you're picking up. One says we need to rise up. The other message sounds like doom and gloom, Mike says. He says, it's telling us to bow down. And he says, every Christian's got to understand which person's telling the truth, those that say rise up or those that say bow down. And the fact of the matter is, I think both messages are true, but it's a matter of us waiting on the Lord for the full interpretation of what's happening. And we need to learn that if we only bow down, we won't survive in victory. But if we only rise up, we will only see a portion of what God wants to accomplish brought about in the church. It's time for us to both bow down, Mike said, and then to rise up. It's the question of is 
God sending the storm or does the devil send the storm? A lot of times we don't even know till it's over the true origin or source of something. But I do know this. When we are in a storm, we discern what the devil is doing and we resist that. And we discern what God is doing and we repent over that. So we're at a state where we repent and we, and we rise up. We bow down and we rise up. But will we experience storms? I think we will. Uh, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but you can be cheerful. <laughs> Amazing. You can be cheerful because I have overcome the world. In Matthew 8, Jesus was awakened during a storm. And this was his question to the disciples. They said, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus said, why are you afraid and of such little faith? And I believe the inference in that passage was that we should not be surprised when we experience storms and we shouldn't lose our faith because he has promised to take care of us. So Jesus said, now you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have storms, and when the storm comes, don't be surprised because I promised you I will take care of you. The testimony of Paul um, was one of literal and spiritual storms. Now, you say, well, Jesus had storms, but he calmed the storm. Yeah, and I think our position should be that every storm we get in, Jesus will calm but we have to follow him. So yes, I'll say it's normal for the child of God to experience storms. Um, my pastor used to say this, look around you on every pew, or in your case today, every couch or every sleeping bag or every picnic table, everybody on, or he said, uh, excuse me, on every pew, he said, there is somebody that's either coming into a storm, coming out of a storm, or is in a storm already. That's pretty much the, the testimony of Christians. Um, when do these storms come? Is there a purpose for them? Well, I want to tell you what you've been suspecting. And on the surface, it's bad news till you let me finish the point. This is not a time to get up and go get coffee. You need to hear both sides of this. Um, sometimes we're in a storm when we are out of God's will. When we are out of God's will, I won't take time to read the 13 verses, but you have it in your notes or they'll be available in your notes. Leviticus 16, 1 to 13, uh, through 13, um, the Lord spoke to Moses and he says, you need to understand the principle. I'm sending you into a land of a former and latter rain. He said, um, I will bless you as you go into the land. You'll live in houses you didn't build and you'll cultivate fields that you did not clear. Because you obey me, the Lord will bless you. But this is what he said. If you ever turn your back on covenant, if you ever begin to worship other gods, if you ever feel that your relationship with God is just a deal that you brokered, and you have a varying degree of responsibility to it, this is what he said. He said, I will send your enemies back into the land. That's the whole story of the book of Judges. He said, you will know because of the storms, the battles, the enemies, the trouble you face, that you have stepped out of the will of God. The psalmist put it this way. He said, I've sent you into a land of the former and latter rains. He said, it's not like it was in Egypt. In Egypt, if a famine came, you just pumped water out of the Nile. 
but I'm sending you to a land that depends on former and latter rains. And he said, I will send you the rains. And this is what he said. But if it doesn't rain, call upon me and ask me why it's not raining. And I will tell you and you can repent of your sin. And other passages throughout the law of Moses, it was, it was God's relationship with Israel. Sometimes you will have storms because you're out of the will of God. Jonah is a good example of that. In Jonah 1, 1 through 4, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish, far from the presence of the Lord. But then verse 4 comes up. But the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea, a storm, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. And as you read the rest of the story, Joseph, uh, excuse me, Jonah was a man of at least this much integrity. He told the people, look, this storm is my fault. I have stepped out of God's will. Everything that's going on, the, the fact that you are about to go under is due to my disobedience. So if you will throw me overboard, the storm will cease. And these were decent men. They weren't believers as far as we know, but they were, they were decent men. And they didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. But when he finally compelled them to do it, they threw him overboard. And you know the story. God had prepared a great fish to swallow him up. And as soon as the uh, prophet went overboard, the storm ceased. So sometimes... We might be in a storm. Sometimes you might be in a storm. Sometimes I've been in a storm. And when I trace it down, I don't have the right to say, God, you've been unfair. Or God, if you love me, why would you let this happen to me? It's the result of my own rebellion. But not every storm. Now, before you get depressed, not every storm is because you're out of the will of God. There's a second thing indicated in scripture. Some storms occur when folks near us are out of the will of God. It may not be you. It could be someone that you're vitally connected to. Paul, for instance, in Acts 27 was about to go in the greatest storm he had ever seen in his life, literally. He said, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous since the fast was already over. In other words, they were setting sail at a bad time. It was the season that was ripe for storms. Paul began to admonish them and said, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but of our lives. He says, It's not God's will for us to take off now. We need to wait for the calmer weather season. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. See, in other words, this man, his livelihood depended on how many runs he could make. And it wasn't Paul that stepped out of the will of God. In fact, Paul had a word in his spirit. We're going to die if we go on this voyage. This is going to be dangerous. It's going to be life-threatening. But Paul was not in charge and he was overruled. And quite frankly, I've seen situations where a husband makes a foolish decision and the whole family has to pay the price. 
or the wife makes a foolish decision and the whole family has to make, uh, pay the price. A pastor makes a foolish decision, a whole congregation suffers. I've seen pastors walk out poor decisions by the congregation when he knew they were going the wrong direction, but it's the power of covenant. That's what happened to Moses. In fact, Moses, Caleb, and Joshua spent 40 years in the wilderness instead of going into the promised land directly because everybody near them was out of the will of God, even though they were pleasing the Lord. You say, oh, so you're saying this is that man I married. Well, that could be, could be, but I, I, th I don't think I want to get involved in that one. Now, some storms are because I'm out of the will of God. Some storms are because people around us are out of the will of God. But here's the thing that's most difficult for us to grasp. Some storms come when we are dead center in the will of God. Those are the most difficult ones to understand because we start singing that old song, Why Me, Lord? You know, what have I ever done? And... Um, we forget that in Matthew 14, the text we just read, the Bible said that Jesus sent the crowds away. He went up to the mountain to pray after doing this. He constrained, that's the King James word, he constrained the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to wait for Jesus. But Jesus, the word that's used there was a word of force. Jesus says, I'm telling you, get in the boat and go to the other side. So they left Jesus, they started rowing across that narrow sea of Galilee and a storm came, they were going down and some could have said, well, it's because we left Jesus or it's because of this. But you gotta understand, they were acting under direct orders from Jesus. They were dead center in the will of God. Everything they were doing was because Jesus said do it and they had followed the steps exactly. That's when interpreting a storm becomes hard when you've done everything that you know to do. But we've got to learn the lessons of scripture. Israel found themselves at the Red Sea, surrounded by mountains on the side, surrounded by the devil through Pharaoh and his army in the back, and then the deep sea in front of them. They did not know what to do, but this was an opportunity for them to sing the song of praise to the Lord in that impossible storm, David Wilkerson gave us a message. I hope you'll go online, not now, but later and look it up. It's called Right Song, Wrong Side. And David Wilkerson talks about that beautiful uh, song that Miriam led Israel in. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And man, we sing that song. We pull out the tambourines. We dance and do the huckabuck in front of everybody. We are delighted. I will sing unto the Lord. He's thrown the horse and rider into the sea. And David Wilkerson said that was the right song, but it was meant to be sung on the other side. Sometimes the things we go through are just a test to see if we trust God enough to praise him when things still look bad as we are willing to praise him after he delivers us. So he's trying to teach us to sing the right song on the right side instead of the right song on the wrong side. Okay, now we are going to experience storms. Uh, why or when? When we're out of God's will, when someone near us is out of God's will, and sometimes when we're right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Now, what is God doing in the midst of these storms? 
Well, you see from your notes, I think there are four things basically. Number one, it may be for the purposes of chastisement. Um, Deuteronomy 28 is an example of that. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say, we're not sure if it was Paul, but Paul, I said it again, the writer of Hebrews says that be sure of this. If we are never corrected by the Lord, we need to go to the table and find out if we're his children at all. Chastisement and correction, discipline is part of the Christian life. In fact, it's a sign that he loves us. He loves us enough to correct us. We always say around here, God loves you just the way you are. And that's true. But he also loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay just the way you are. He is working change in us and perfection in us. Sometimes the storm is for the benefit of others. Going back to Acts, that storm we talked about, Paul touched God. They weathered the storm. It changed him. It changed the crew. It changed the centurion and the other prisoners. And when they survived the shipwreck and went ashore, it changed the entire island of Crete. Yeah, it's sometimes we have a storm because it will benefit others. Our testimony will be a benefit to others. The way we conduct ourselves in the storm will be something that people will remember. You remember long after Nebuchadnezzar was dead and gone, Daniel had performed such exploits and given such counsel and shown such grace and such of the love of God in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. But long after Nebuchadnezzar was gone and Darius was seeing the handwriting on the wall and the word of judgment that had been pronounced over the kingdom of Babylon, someone said, there was someone who walked through something like this before. His name was Daniel. And as he served in an earlier storm, he may be able to help us in this storm. So it may be that it's for the benefit of others. Thirdly, the storm may come because of a demonic attack. Some storms are storms. But we read in Mark chapter 4, and this seems to be a storm that was a demonically driven storm. We know from the book of Job that some weather can be demonically driven. Not all weather, but some weather can be demonically driven. And it's interesting that this storm in Mark chapter 4, the other storms Jesus calmed, but this storm he rebuked. And the word that is translated rebuked was the same word that Jesus often used when dealing with demonic spirits. It seems there was something supernatural behind this. And loved ones, sometimes a storm comes because we're under an attack. But here's the clincher before we move on to that fourth and final question. It may be that storms come for the purpose of revealing Christ more deeply in us. In Matthew 14, they did something that they had never done before. They had seen Jesus do miracles and they were in awe. They had heard Jesus teach and they were mesmerized. But when they got delivered from the storm, something happened that they had not done to that point so far as we can tell from the gospel account. It said they worshiped him. They worshiped him. James 1 verses 2 through 4 tell us that everything God does when he allows trials to come into our lives James, in fact, the Phillips translation puts it this way. Dear brothers, when troubles and trials come into your life, do not resent them as intruders. Now, that's my standard operating procedure. 
When I'm inconvenienced or I have a test or trial, I resent them as intruders. But James says, do not resent them as, as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Ugh, that's a tough verse. But then he goes on to explain why. He says, because every trial, if received properly, perfects in us a character tra- quality, a character trait that makes us more like Jesus. And he said, and God does this. Why? Because he's capricious. He just likes giving you grief. No, no. Um, he does this because he is working in us, as James says, so that we will be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Loved ones, I know this isn't something you want to print out, cut out, put on your refrigerator right now, but the trial we're going through may be God's loving attempt to touch his church so that we develop the true nature of Christ and that we really, some of us, hear me now, some of us may have accepted him as Lord, some of us may have given mental assent, But this trial may be designed to move some of us to the place where we trust him so much that for the first time in our lives, we worship him. The first time in our lives, we worship him. So, Pastor, what should we be doing during the storms? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That means we're drawing to an end here. In the storms, what the people did was call upon him. Loved ones, that's the first place to start. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things that you've not learned yet. So call upon him. And then as you call upon him, focus on the peace that he tries to give you. Marvin Gorman, a great pastor in New Orleans before he went to heaven, said this preaching about Paul's storm. He said, there's a pattern that you notice In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, and it is this, generally speaking, God will not get you out of the storm until he gets the storm out of you. That's been the hardest, that's been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn in my life. And I say I've learned it, I I, I keep trying, there are times I think I fail. But Brother Gorman taught us that the storm is no problem to God. He is sovereign, he's in control. But he said, what I see is when Jesus is in the storm and the disciples are panicking, what he generally says is, it's me. Don't be afraid. We think he's a ghost. We think whatever. It's me. Don't be afraid. Now, he says, don't be afraid when the storm is still raging. But God knows if he can get the storm out of our hearts, then the storm on the outside loses its power. Paul did the same thing. Um, he said, I, when, when uh, Luke said all hope that we should be saved was taken away, and I think even from the heart of Paul, Paul said, I went down into the belly of, sh- of the ship, I prayed, and an angel of the Lord came to me, and he said, Paul, don't be afraid because you are on a mission that you must complete, and I will see to it that you arrive safely. What did God do? He took the fear out of Saul's heart, Paul's heart. And then Paul went on deck with the storm still raging and said, be of good cheer. Let not your hearts be troubled. If he used the words of Jesus, he says, because God will see us through this. Now focus on peace. Um, Humble yourselves before God 
and then give God a venue for his glory to be revealed. I, I, I want to take just the uh, five or six minute stops and talk to you about how we respond in this storm. Um, I, I think whenever God puts his church through storms and trials, we have a tendency to stop with a knee-jerk reaction. You know, a word of faith, this thing won't touch me, or a knee-jerk reaction that says, woe is me, all is undone, I knew this was too good to be true. And I think both reactions are damaging and insufficient. I think whenever we come against something like this, we need to respond with humility, deep humility, and with, with profound obedience. We need to humble ourselves and understand that um, sometimes storms come because repentance is needed. Even if we don't feel that repentance is needed in our lives, which probably be very few of us, but even if you felt that way, you're still identifying with the nation. You're still identifying with mankind. And we come in humility and then when we have found the peace of God in an approach of humility, we obey what he tells us to do. We bow down. Remember Mike Bickle? We bow down, then we rise up. If, if we rise up first, we may find that God sends us back to bow down. But if we can learn to walk in humility and walk in obedience and, and, and repent to God and resist the devil, because I guarantee you God has things he wants to accomplish in this storm and I want to repent and do everything he's wanting to do in me. But I also know the devil has an agenda. And when I sense the devil's agenda, I want to resist it. You say, well, then is the storm from God or the devil? Loved ones, we may not know till we get to heaven. But I remember R.T. Kendall telling us about a man in his church. He says, Pastor, I've been through so many trials. When trials come, he said, I can't tell if it's from God or the devil because no matter where it comes from, God always blesses and God always wins and I always turn out better. He said, I've stopped worrying about who it's from and I've started worrying more about what I need to do. I believe God has given something else to us and um, uh, I'm calling it a Sabbath. God is slowing us down. I really believe that to make us better equipped for what lies ahead. Um, I think that there is, are other tests coming. I think that this is a gracious and merciful dress rehearsal for those of you that would agree that difficult times are coming to see what we've done well, what we've done wrong, if we've prepared well, if we've prepared poorly. But I also find myself wanting to take advantage of this Sabbath with my family, with my time with the Lord. Life is so busy. Church is so busy. Everything is so busy that if we can just take a deep breath we'll find out that God may have just granted us a Sabbath uh, from our regular routine to really prepare to live the rest of life better. Now, here's what I want to say. Focus on presence and focus on peace. Now, I'm going to close with this. What does it mean when you say, Pastor, this may be a dress rehearsal? When troubles come, it's to help us put our trust in him but it's also to help us evaluate where we are. I tell you, we've made changes as a church um, with our technology that we were forced to make. 
but we probably wouldn't have made these changes if this storm hadn't come. We're better prepared for whatever's down the road because of what this has forced us to do and has forced us to rethink. I think our objective is not just to get through this, and I believe we will. I believe we will. I believe that this could open doors to the long emergency, but I think we're going to get through this because I believe this is a dress rehearsal. But this is the word I want to leave you with. I don't want it to sound negative. I want it to sound challenging, and I want it to sound encouraging because it comes from the heart of God. This is what he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 12. The people were complaining. They said, we'll never have tougher times than this. It's not going to get any tougher than this. God encouraged them through Jeremiah to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And um, we may not always understand what that means. Um, I wrote in my journal on February 28th, um, February 28th, I wrote these words as I was preparing to shift over to my March journal. Uh, the Lord spoke to my heart as I was praying and it made absolutely no sense at all to me. And he said this, Stephen, be patient in March. It will be a very long month. Learn to rest in me and be strong in the power of my might. And I wrote it down faithfully as I always do and had absolutely no idea what it meant. And boy, have I found out that March is a long month. I saw something on the web the other day. Somebody said, well, I've lived now in six decades, you know. Um, and he started off, I think, with the 80s, the 90s, the teens um, uh, of, of the 20s. And then he said, I, we started 2020s. And then the sixth decade was March, you know, March. It's felt like a decade. It really has. But this is what Jeremiah said to the people of God when they thought things ought to be better and they couldn't get any worse. He said, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if you can only trust in a land that is safe and smooth, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? See, the prophet was saying this, Look, you have been in the fight for your life, but it's with footmen. You're running a race, but it's with footmen. What will you do when the footmen become horsemen? And what will you do if the extent of your trust is to only trust in good times? What will you do when my plan takes you into the thicket of the Jordan? He wasn't saying you're going to get your butt whipped. He was saying this. I will give you grace for whatever you, you have to face. Don't misunderstand the storm. Don't think your objective is to just get through to the end of the summer. Understand that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Understand that everything we commit to him, he is able to keep and guard against that day. Loved ones, we're going to be back together soon. I don't know when it's going to be. We're going to be back together soon. But until we are, use this as a time to understand your storm. Use this as a time to be a venue that God shows himself mighty for you. I love you so much. I wish I could hug every one of you, even those I don't know. But God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think because he is the master. He is the master of the storm. I love you. Father, let your grace and peace rule in our hearts. Make us strong 
in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today.